We've been working through the book of Colossians and looking at Paul's letter, and it's so applicable today. I mean, this book could be written, and it is for us today. And as we've been looking at how to play out our lives and recognizing that Jesus is a linchpin, he holds everything together. Today, we're going to jump into this text, and we're going to find out that God has called us to live like we're native of the homeland, to live in such a way that this isn't our home, that our home is in heaven, that earth is just a place that we're passing through. It's difficult sometimes to keep that in perspective because this is the only thing that we've ever been exposed to. We didn't have the privilege of coming from heaven and then living on earth like Jesus did. And so the only thing that our lenses, our eyes, our taste buds, our, our, our arms, everything, our feet have ever landed on and touched and tasted is earth. And so it's real hard for us from time to time to get perspective of what our homeland is like. And we can get easily attached to this thing called earth. And so as we read through this passage today, my hope is this, is that we recognize this. We are residents of earth, but we're citizens of heaven. Yet for most of us, we've lived just the opposite of that. If you've ever flown overseas you run into that pretty quickly. You soon realize that you're not a native of that homeland, that you are a native of somewhere else. I have some passports in my hand, and here's two passports I've filled up and, and had to have replaced, and on, on another passport here, been overseas multiple, many, many, many times. And, and on my most recent trip to Cambodia and Thailand, just three weeks ago, I came full face with that reality that I wasn't in my homeland, that I was a foreigner with this other place. And so when you travel and you fly, you have to have a passport with you when you go to different countries. And when you go to a different country, they'll often stamp you and allow you to have a visa, a temporary visa to be in that country. And then they'll give you an exit visa to say, hey, we're glad you were here, but go on your way and go back home. And on my most recent trip that I led a group of 20 of us here from Grace to visit our rescued orphans in Cambodia and Thailand, when I got to the Chicago airport and I walked to the airport itself and I went up to the counter and I handed them this passport right here, the lady took it, the clerk took it, and she said these words, you don't have enough pages in your passport to travel. Like, whoa. I had always heard that if you have four to six pages at the back of your passport, then you are free to travel. I, have four, I had four empty pages in the back of my passport. Little did I know that the last three pages, they don't allow you to use. I didn't know that. In fact, if you look closely, you'll see on your passport, it is stamped visa page, visa page, and visa page. Your last three pages aren't stamped that way. So the lady at the counter said, let me go talk to my supervisor. I'm standing there. The team behind me didn't know this was going on. I didn't want them to fret and worry that somehow their leader couldn't go. And maybe we can't go to Cambodia. But I believe that's what God wanted us to do. And so she came back and she said these words. My supervisor says, it's okay. When you get to Cambodia, they'll put a, a, a stamp on your page and you should be okay. I didn't tell her, however, that I was going to Thailand too. Once we got in Cambodia, we're flying from Cambodia to Thailand. So we took off, and when I got to Cambodia, they, they took my passport, and they took the very last page, was to, able to put a visa on, and they put this visa on it. So while we were in Cambodia, I had our team pray. And I said, you know, I, I, I realize my passport is filled, and so I'm going to do some research and see 
It's what the country's regulations are and see if there's any way at all I can get extra pages. I had pages added to one of my previous passports because it filled up before the 10-year tenure on it. And I said, I, I, I'm going to check and see. And then I start researching the stamp sizes of visas. And I started asking these questions. What are, how stringent are countries over some countries? Can you stamp on one? Does it have to be on the same page? So I did a multiple searches as the leader of the team. And so I found out that it just depends on the clerk, the immigration clerk. So we, we took a bus back from Batambang to Siem Reap. And we flew from Siem Reap to Thailand. And as I'm walking up to the immigration officer... I handed him this passport right here. And once you have a used one, they punch holes on it when it's no longer any good. I had one expedited because I'll be going to Iraq here in two weeks, leading a team there. But in any case, as I was handed it to him, I handed it to him, and he began to search and look through my passport. He was looking all through my passport, and I mean, it took him multiple minutes, and he was looking and looking and searching and searching, and he was trying to find a place. And Thailand has a very stringent visa policy. So he opened it up and he found this one spot. It's right here and it's hard for you to see it. But in Thailand they require that you put the entry and the exit visa side by side or one above the other. And so he found this spot that barely had enough room and he handed me he said you're very lucky. He said your passport is full. He said you're very lucky that I found a spot because if not we wouldn't give you a visa to our country. And I thought, I'm not very lucky. Oh, you don't know. We've been praying about this. So he stamped it, closed it. But I knew I had to get out of the country. So we went into Thailand. We worked with the orphans that were there and cared for them. And it was a phenomenal uh, a missions trip. And, and uh, it always blesses my heart. And so when we're leaving the country, same thing happened. Immigration officer, I went there. And this person searching and searching and couldn't find where my visa was stamped. I said, are you looking for my visa? I said, and he said, yes, it was. Yes, he was. So I grabbed it, showed it to him, and then he stamped it, and it went over top of the other one. Now, I was grateful that I got out of Thailand, but we were still going to Qatar in the Middle East to spend the night. I had booked ahead a hotel reservation for us because it was a 19-hour layover in Qatar in the Middle East. It's where the World Cup is going to be. And I said to our team, please pray. Please pray that somehow when we get a clerk that I'll be able to explain because I found some spots that possibly could be stamped. And I want it be nice to sleep. If not, we'll sleep in the airport. I looked ahead and there were some lounges we could stay in for three to six hours. So we're going through the immigration line as you do in, in foreign countries. And we're going through and we kind of stuck out because we were Americans. And as we got near the front, there were immigration clerks, there's about 20 counters, and way down at the end was this immigration clerk. And as we got near where our group was coming, this person came out of nowhere and looked at our group and said, hey, you come down here. It was as if God actually grabbed a hold of us, brought this angel in and just sent us down. And I said, I better go first because if I can't get through, then we're sleeping in the airport. So the team is praying and you could see them, they're watching. I went up to the counter and I handed the lady my passport and she spoke perfect English, which isn't always the case. And she began to search in my passport for spots. And I had searched it pretty good, too. And I had even measured the size of a Qatar visa. And she said, as she was looking, she was having difficulty. And I said to her, I said, you're having a hard time finding a spot, aren't you? And she said, yes, I am, sir. I said, can I show you a couple? She said, yes, you can, sir. 
And I handed her my passport and I showed her. I said, can you stamp there? And she looked up at me. She looked down. She looked up. She says, I can do that for you. Bam. She stamped it. And when I got on the other side of the, path, the immigration line, my team was waiting. And I was like, <laughs> but I still had to get out of Qatar. <laughs> Came back to immigration line and the same went through the same thing. I had found another spot and the person stamped it. And as we get on this jet plane, and we're flying this long flight, it's almost 15 hours from this portion of the country to America, and we're flying into ORD, which is Chicago O'Hare Airport, and we're landing, and, and as you're landing, all of a sudden you hear all these phones on the, on the jet plane, they begin to beep, and I looked down at my phone, it was, it was working, like the first had worked in like 11 days. And as we get off of the plane and, and we're walking down this hallway, and if you've ever been there, when you've flown an international flight and you fly into Chicago, I've been in hundreds of airports, and we're flying in, we're walking down, and there are these monitors down this hallway in ORD, and on these monitors it says, Welcome home. Welcome to the USA. It felt so good because I knew that I was a citizen, and I knew that, it, that, that, that I no longer needed a visa entry because I didn't have to go to the immigration officer and have him put a visa because I'm a citizen of this place. And I knew that I was home. All the rights and privileges were there for me because I was a citizen. I wasn't a foreigner. I wasn't a sojourner. I wasn't an alien. I wasn't a stranger. And I was able to go to my homeland. Paul is telling us today in Colossians that there's this place called home for us called heaven that is waiting for us, that God has given to us, yet we live as though earth is our home and heaven isn't. And we should set our minds on things above so that it changes everything on earth. Grab your Bibles, let me show you what I mean, and turn to Colossians chapter 3. And if you need a Bible today, you walked in without one, hold your hands up and our ushers will put one in your hand. Colossians chapter 3 and we're going to read verses 1 to 4 to start out. But turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Would you stand with me, please, as we read Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. And this is what Paul said, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Part of the, the original canon that we have today. This is what he said in Colossians 3. Would you read it out loud with me? Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Ready, read. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You may have a seat. Paul is reminding us, and the word of God is reminding us today of this truth. Here's the best way I can say it. Live kingdom down. Don't live earth up, live kingdom down because that's where our citizenship is. Live as though you belong to heaven and all the inheritance and rights of heaven are yours. Live in such a way that reflects your homeland. You know, if you, all of us have a place that we were born, a place that, that we're native to. I'm Hagerstown, Maryland. And the closer I get to the East Coast, Hagerstown, Maryland, you ask my family, you can ask Josh who's running a presenter right now, or a presentation right now on our sound, you could, you, you, you ask him or ask my wife Ann or, or Hannah or Isaiah, the closer I get to my hometown, I begin talking like my hometown. And they say, Dad, your language has kind of changed. 
You have a slang that we haven't heard in a while, and it's, it, it picks up because it's part of my native tongue. And so, so Paul is saying this, live kingdom down, live like you belong in heaven. This is not your home. While we know that to be true, it's so hard to live as though we don't belong here. And the Bible gives us lots of reminders. In fact, you and I are called aliens, strangers, foreigners, sojourners, And it says that this is not your home. Yet because this is all that we've ever experienced, we we weren't born in heaven. We didn't live in heaven and then come to earth. And so it's difficult for us to to not know anything else but heaven. But Paul says we need to. You need to set your hearts, set your minds on where your homeland is. He wants to remind this group, to get their lives on track, and to live to the redemptive potential instead of like the culture they are presently part of. You see, setting your hearts on things above, not below, is counter-cultural to what everyone else is living. Whatever culture we are living in must compare itself to the culture to the kingdom of God. Set your hearts on the position in heaven. A few weeks ago at the beginning of this message, I explained in much more depth, and this would just be a brief definition, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three-in-one God that we serve, that the Bible says that you and I have been raised with Christ and that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly. So positionally, every day when you woke up, maybe it didn't feel that way at 6 a.m. until you drank your coffee, but we are seated with Christ in the heavenly. So positionally... This is our position. And it showed us in the text there that we're seated far above all rule, all authority, all power, all evil, Satan himself. And it said that our feet are above his feet. And when Satan looks up, he sees the bottom of our souls. And that is the biggest way to disrespect anyone in an Asian culture, for them to see the bottom of your souls. And I told you this. That the reality is, if we look at our feet, we're seated with Christ. Our feet dangle with Jesus' feet, the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is who we are. So positionally, you have to remind yourself, I'm on earth, but this is who I am in Christ. This is where my seat is. This is the table that I sit with. This is my God that I serve. This is the culture that I belong to. But we struggle with that. We want to pull away and say, yeah, but, yeah, but, what, what? No, this is our seat with the King of kings and Lord of lords. So set your hearts on things above. Don't let all this temporary pain and temporary struggle and hardship get you sidetracked from who you are and where your citizenship is. And one day you will be home, Paul is saying, with your family. And guess what? You really won't fit in. So quit living like you do. Sometimes this is difficult for us to wrap our minds around. We must be different than the culture that we're living in because this isn't home. Yes, Other passages in the Bible, Paul himself said, do not be conformed to the image of this world by being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't conform. But Jesus said in other passages, hey, hey, I want you you to go into the world. I'm sending you out. And not only have I sent you out, but I prayed for you. So make a difference while you're there. Don't become like 
But make sure there's something different enough about you that people have, see what you have and want what you have, and it's Jesus. I love the word choice here that Paul uses. He could have used all kinds of verbs, but he used the word set. Set means to look up. It means to be alert to. It means know what's going around in heaven. Know where your citizenship, be alert to your kingdom called heaven, the kingdom of God. Continually look up there. Even though this is happening here, keep in mind that this is temporary. Get your head up, set the gaze to God and the throne room of heaven and know that one day you will walk down that long hallway and there will be a monitor when you've flown from earth to heaven, when the rapture has occurred, when, when, when we die in Christ, when you will enter and you'll walk down the hallway, it'll say, welcome home. That's the promise that we have in this relationship with Jesus Christ. So how do you do that? you got to set the reset button. you got to refresh your page of theology. You need to revisit your homeland rights and privileges. We need to get our minds off the distractions and the hardships of this world. We need to quit living like this is the end and the best isn't yet to come. As a young boy growing up in Hagerstown, my parents owned many station wagons. We had a family of seven. And so we would often drive around in Ford station wagon, country squire t- station wagons. I can remember four of them. And so we would all pal in, and I can remember in the back station wagons when the seats used to face each other in the back. And I remember when they put a seat that faced the back and the tailgate went down and the window went down inside of the tailgate. And I remember driving without a seatbelt in the back and we survived. Imagine that. But I remember we're a music family. Not that I play music, but my parents always, my stepfather and my mom, we would constantly be in the front room. Mom and my stepdad would always listen to Elvis and a whole bunch of music during that time. And, and so it wasn't uncommon at nighttime for, in the evenings for us to be dancing in the front room. And I would often dance with, with, my, with my mom, slow dance. I love slow dancing with my wife. Now, it doesn't mean I'm good at it, but I did it. And so we would listen to all kinds of music. And so my parents also took us to church, and praise God for that, came to know Christ at the early age of five, and, and, and so we knew many songs. And one of my mom's favorite songs, always, if you ask her, Mom, what's your favorite song to sing? And she would always say, Jimmy, Jimmy, let's sing until then. And it was a song that we would sing, we would sing it in our car, and, and then we'd go home, and Mom would sing it there. And, and the words to it have such power, because it's a reminder of setting your eyes and your heart on things above. And here are the words of this precious hymn that my mom would often have us sing. And here are the words. My heart can sing when I pause to remember. A heartache here is but a stepping stone. Along a path that's winding always upward, this troubled world is not my final home. But until then, my heart will go on singing. Until then, with joy, I'll carry on. Until the day my eyes behold my Savior, until the day God calls me home. The things of earth will dim and lose their value if we recall they're borrowed for a while. And the things of earth that cause this heart to tremble, remember they will only bring a smile. 
but until then, my heart will go on singing. I can remember my mom, and most of you know the condition of my mom, and, and, and she has Alzheimer's, and she's on the back end of that, so it's getting progressively worse, and she hardly recognizes any of us. So it's not uncommon when we go and visit my mom that we pull out our, our, our smartphones and we just play music and, and, and we'll sit in the room because mom remembers music and I say, hey mom, let's sing this song of Elvis. And hey, hey mom, how about Patula Clark? Let's pull out some old Patula Clark and listen to Downtown. And there's always that moment we pu- start pulling out some, some worship songs and, and on our last visit, I say, hey mom, 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 let's, let's sing until then. Let, let's sing. And I, I was watching my mom who was just riddled with, dementia and Alzheimer's just her body's just riddled with it and and I pulled it out I said mom let's sing until then and my wife was in the room and and as we were singing the song my mom was leaning over my ear and she was singing out the words and I watched her and I thought yeah that's so true mom even though your mind isn't all there this is only temporary and the best is yet to come. My wife caught the last trip in, and you can hear my mom singing these truths of this hymn. such good perspective. It's been so good for me personally to walk through this journey because it's caused me to reflect on my citizenship and my mom's citizenship. It's not here. Like she's been a resident for a long time, almost 80 years. But there will be a day, and Paul is saying, set your eyes on things above. Like Yes, this world is hard and difficult and painful. But if you focus on this and the temporariness of this, it will kill you. So set your eyes above and know that the best is yet to come. Didn't Jesus say that in Matthew 6? Jesus says, this is how we should pray. Our Father who art in heaven hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on what? Earth as it is in heaven. Bring kingdom down. And people that bring kingdom down to a culture that's lost live with these kind of truths. Kingdom down is a place where people tell the truth on earth. Kingdom down is a place where we love unconditionally. Kingdom down is a place where we do not judge or compare. Kingdom down is a place where we forgive, we forgive, and we continue to forgive each other. Kingdom down is a place where God is honored above all things. 
Kingdom down is where hope prevails. Kingdom down is a place where faith is realized. Kingdom down is where justice prevails. And kingdom down is where celebration is the norm. That's kingdom down. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, here's what Paul wants us to be reminded of today. He wants you and I to live like what you will be like. Live like you, what you will be like. How many of us have become too attached to earth and its possessions? And how many of us have let the ups and downs, the struggles and hardships level us? How many of you truly live as though you're on a passport that's been stamped for earth and it's just temporary and one day it's going to lose its temporariness either by death or by the rapture or God calls us home? He says, live in light of your citizenship that's in heaven. Variety of ways. I mean, it happens when you're young and because we're, we're supposed to live countercultural. We don't fit in. Most of us are just trying to fit in. Like, how come they don't like me? How come I'm not accepted? And how come the, it just doesn't feel like I fit in this family? How come, how come I have these struggles? Be, listen to me. We are countercultural to this culture. Yes, we should be not conformed to the image of this world. Yes, we should be bringing people to Christ while we're here. But there finally comes a point where we say, I just don't fit here. Why? Because we're not natives of earth. We're natives of heaven. Heaven is our home. It's happened in all forms for you and for me, too. I can remember as a freshman in a high school in Hagerstown, Maryland, large public high school, inner city school, I can remember coming from a middle school where people knew that I was a Christian. I was one of those guys that stood out and I was a Christian. I, I didn't have a big deal with being a Christian in, in, in elementary school and grade school and middle school. But it was tested in high school. I remember coming to high school. Now, I went to a high school that the freshman basketball team, they cut 50 people before they kept the team. 50 people. They made 50 cuts. And so I remember, remember going to the school, my first day, first day, I went to my locker and I opened it up and there were Playboy photos taped to the inside of my locker, already trying to come after me. I just grabbed them, balled them up, and threw them on the ground, thinking that was it. Next day I go there. You know what? More Playboy photos. Because someone had put word on the street that Jim Brown was a Christian. And so they were trying to drag me down and make me feel like I don't fit in and somehow crumble who I was. I remember the early weeks of high school, walking the hallways, and there were a day or two that they came up and they put, kick me, I'm gay, on the back of my shirt. I remember getting kicked in the hallway thinking, huh, I guess they do that to freshmen. It didn't take long until I caught on to it, though. And I can remember going out for basketball as a freshman, and I started at point guard on this freshman team. And I can remember by the time I was on my JV team, they were asking me to pray before games. I didn't fit in. And I wasn't supposed to fit in. But I tried to bring kingdom down to earth, love unconditionally, give grace and mercy. And I wanted to always be the person who has the most hope on planet earth to anyone who comes in my path. I want to be the person who wakes up every day and says, you know what, with Christ, we can do anything. Why? Because for me, that's kingdom brought down to earth. And Paul is saying, set your eyes above. 
Because that's your homeland. So how do you do that? Okay, here's what he says. Here's some other ways. Look at verse 5. He said, put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is what? What's the word? Idolatry. Verse 6. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, Slave or free, but Christ is all and in, is in all. Put to death whatever it is that makes you like the earth. Put to death whatever telling you you're lesser than who you are going to be in heaven. I love this translation of this same passage. It says this, and that means killing off everything connected with that way of death. It wasn't long ago, he said, that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. But now you know better. So make sure it's going to be good for you. So stop doing it. Put to death. And start living like the person you already are in heaven. Cut it off. Kill it. Stop it. It is possible because Christ lives in you. You're different than someone who doesn't have Christ. There should be a distinct difference in your pattern of living and thinking than someone who isn't a Christ follower. Bring heaven down. Bring hope down. Bring, bring, bring love down. Bring forgiveness down. Bring, bring, bring whatever it is from heaven down so that when people see you, like, how can you operate? Because my home is there. It's not here. And this is just temporary. I mean, the list isn't complicated. I mean, put off sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desire. That's a picture of America, isn't it? Isn't that the struggles we struggle with? And greed. Put it, just put it off. And fear is the driving force behind greed. You see, if our eagerness to store up outplaces our willingness to give out, we will end up with a loss. So hit the pause button and ask this question. Why do I have so much? The reason you might have so much as a citizen of heaven is to be generous with it and to help those in need. Do all these things because otherwise it's adultery. You're placing everything else above God. Jesus is enough. You see, when you get too entrenched in a culture, you begin to lose perspective about it. One of the values that Ann and I had in raising our children, what as soon as possible was to get our children overseas. When I say overseas, out of the country. It's a value that we have for our kids, and we prayed about it, and we asked God for opportunities, and I'll just say again, dads, please, be the one that takes your kids overseas. Moms, take your kids overseas. Not, sh not another state, not a city, overseas, another culture completely. So that they can get perspective in their worldview and help them see outside of America. 
Because what happens is if they don't live with their eyes up and they don't know what it's like in other cultures and if they think this is all there is, then it will shape their wants, their desires, their needs. I want, I want, I need. America is spoiled. So one of the values we had is take our children overseas. It's one of the many reasons I just continue to ask you this thing today. Please hear me. I might sound like a broken record, but I mean this with all my heart. Please, if you're a Christ follower, own a passport. Please. How can we be prepared and ready to give an answer if we don't, and don't own a passport and aren't passport ready? What if God would call you to go to the uttermost parts of the world? We must always be ready to go. One of our early trips into Cambodia and Thailand, Isaiah was nine years old. And so it was his first time overseas. And so we were going to see our kids in Cambodia and Thailand. And I remember seeing Isaiah as a nine-year-old playing with these kids. Some were his own age. And we didn't know the language. Isaiah didn't know the language. But a smile is a universal language. And I can remember we have these pictures of Isaiah. He's playing and wrestling with these boys who are roughly his age. And they're showing their muscles. They even do it in Cambodia. So just picture Isaiah in this picture. I tried to pull it out. I couldn't find it of him with about six other Cambodian boys seeing whose muscles is bigger. Just there they are. I can remember in the worship service together, I was preaching that morning, and I was looking down, and Isaiah was wrestling with this kid in the seats. That's what nine-year-olds do in another country. And they were looking at their arms like this. And so he developed these friendships pretty quickly, and he's been over multiple times, so has Hannah and Isaiah and Josh and my wife Anne, to Asia. And, and, and so they develop relationships with these precious kids of ours, which, which is our family. And when we were leaving the first trip in, one of the boys took a liking to, to our son Isaiah and came up to him and gave him a marble. In fact, our first trip, everything they owned was in a, was, was in a laundry basket. That's all that they owned, a pillow, a blanket, and some clothes. And so he went into his laundry basket and he pulled out this marble and he gave it to Isaiah when we were leaving. And our son Isaiah soon understood quickly the value that he gave his very best gift to Isaiah. So Isaiah took it and put it in his pocket, and we talked about it later. Through tears, Isaiah had tears running down his face. He said, Dad, he gave me his best possession. We got on a bus that took us from Phnom Penh, or Batambang to Phnom Penh. Now, this bus in that, those days was, had animals and chickens and goats and bikes, and it was your third, big picture of a third-world country. And so we were keeping our eye on Isaiah, and he was back seated, and he began, I looked back, and he was starting to cry, tears running down his face, and I thought, man, what's going on? Maybe it's a difficult time adjusting, which is normal. And I went back, and I said, Isaiah, what's wrong? He said, Dad, I lost the marble. Dad, I lost the marble. That was so valuable to him. Now, I would have turned that bus upside down to find that marble. And to be quite frank, we just about did. We were crawling under seats and asking God, please help us find the marble. Why? Because it was the greatest possession that this boy had, and Isaiah's worldview knew that. We found this marble and brought it back. But his culture was shaped to know in a third world that that's valuable. Idolatry happens in all forms and functions. It's easy for us to pick it up when we go to a different culture. In Asia, Cambodia, and Thailand, there are shrine houses everywhere. And so as Americans, when we go there, you see them. They're, they're, they're in your restaurants. 
They're in your hotels. They're on the streets in front of every business. And people all day long, they go up in the mornings and they offer alms. Someone will put chickens on their food. Some will put money. And then the monks, the Buddhist monks come along and they collect money from these shrine houses. And there are shrine houses as big as this room. In fact, you could be in the jungle road on road five coming out of Cambodia from Siem Reap. And there are these factories, handmade factories that make these large shrine houses in these, and they make these 60-foot Buddhas. And it's so easy for us. And I've said this, man, can you believe they worship those concrete places? Why do they have all those idols? I see it because that's not my culture. On one of Savorn's first trips to America, he's the national director of Asia's Hope in Cambodia. And he came here to Goshen, Indiana. And he stayed here and came to our church. And so I asked him, I said, what's it been like for you to be here, Savorn? He said, I can't believe all the idols that are here. I said, we don't have many shrine houses. We don't have many statues. He said, idols are everywhere. He says, don't you see them? I said, quite honest, I don't see them like you see them. He said, in all sincerity, he said, you even have pet stores. He said, you have stores that people buy toys for their pets. Yeah, we do. He said, and you build houses for your pets? And then he said this, and then you have these boxes in your homes that your pets go to bathroom inside of their homes? He says, that's an idol. He said, your shrine house might look a little different. And then he said this on every, he said, everywhere here, everyone's got jerseys on. He said, I've never seen so many jerseys, football jerseys. He said, they're all blue and white, coats. He said, they're everywhere. He said, then you have these stadiums where hundreds of thousands of people will come and they'll wear their jerseys, they'll put paint on their faces, and then he said, and they'll worship their teams. He said, they're shrine houses. Oh. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with rooting for a team. But if you're losing sleep over it, if you're spending more money to go to a game than giving to the poor, if you're taking from God to go to your shrine house, then maybe so. And then he says this, you got all these team mascots. He says, you even have chickens. We might not slaughter them and throw them in front of the shrine house, but you know what? We got them dancing all over the place, don't we? You see, when you've been so entrenched in your own culture, it's easy to lose sight of where you've been and what's coming. And so Paul says, put it to death. Not leash it, not cage it, but kill it. And often sin feels good. But that's why it's so popular. Yet we can kill the sin and not let it rule our lives. Why? Well, verse 6 says this. This is why we should do it. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. I want you to think about that for a second. In the New Testament, in some translation, it has the word propitiate. And propitiation. I'm just being very vulnerable here. I used to love to say that word because I felt like I was cussing. 
go propitiate. But propitiate means to divert God's wrath around. And those of us who are Christ followers, God has propitiated his wrath around us because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so the wrath of God is coming. So we should live in such a way to tell our unsafe friends, listen, there's passive wrath and there's active wrath. Passive wrath was demonstrated in Romans chapter 1 when it said God gave them over to their evil desires. God let them sin and said, go about it. Just keep sinning and sinning because active wrath is coming. And when active wrath is coming, it means this, there will be judgment And after every man is destined to die once and face judgment, if you don't know Christ, there is eternal hell. Yet people live as if the wrath of God's not coming. It's like swimming in in an alligator pond and think, well, I didn't get hit today. I'll be okay tomorrow. It's like sending your your four and five-year-old and say, hey, go play on the railroad tracks. Nothing's coming. And people live like nothing's coming. And Paul says, oh, watch out. The wrath of God is coming, and our responsibility is to live differently and show people why we live differently so that we can snatch them from the fires. Isn't that what Jude says? Snatch them from the fire. Listen to me, please. We have been saved from the coming wrath of God. Let's live like we have been. Let's live counterculture so that others will see a difference in us. The greatest gift you can ever give a loved one is to know that they love Jesus. When I preached at my dad's funeral, people have often asked, Jim, how did you have the courage and strength to do that? I said, it wasn't me. Man, it was hard. I mean, emotionally, it's my dad. Like, I miss my daddy. But I just kept hanging on to this truth. He's a citizen of heaven. He's a citizen of heaven. He's a citizen of heaven. And when I stood and presided over my dad's funeral and I saw his body, the greatest gift my daddy ever gave me was for him to trust in Jesus. His body was here, but he was home. I'll never forget at his funeral, I preached at his funeral, his own brother trusted in Jesus Christ. God used his death to win a family member to Christ. And he says in verse 7, you used to walk in these ways, now stop doing it and live like the person you will be one day. Put on the new man, the old has gone. In verses 8 to 11, he says, rid yourselves of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. So what's anger? It's it's the red-faced friend of yours. Maybe it's you. It's that person who just gets angry, and you see their veins pop. I pop a lot when I preach, but I'm not angry. Get rid of rage. Rage is when they get that crazy eye. Have you ever seen it? Red, and it's the eyeball. And then malice is the red face, the crazy eyes, and it's, I'm not sitting here any longer. I'm getting a piece of you. And then slander is I'm attacking your character. Every chance I get, I'm going to talk about him and her whenever I get the chance. And hear me out. 
If you find yourself in a conversation where someone is talking disparagingly about someone else and you don't stand up and say, you should go talk to them or I'd rather not you say this or this hasn't been my perspective with them, then guess what? You have joined in on that slander too. Paul says, rid yourself. Why? Because kingdom down people don't live that way in this culture. Get rid of your filthy language, obscene talk. Pulling as many people as you can into your side of the attack somehow. Need I say more when I say using your political agendas? And then he says, do not lie to each other. Rewriting the story about someone or something to make you look better and them look worse. Dress like the new man. We do it on all kinds of occasions. We go from the old to the new. We go from what we were to what we are. Ever go to a high school graduation? Ever go to a college graduation? And we, we think nothing of it. I used to be this, now I'm this. And they put these gowns on us, in all seriousness. Dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, where else do men wear dresses? Seriously. We put on these goofy-looking gowns, and, like, and, and it is, it's a celebration. I've been parts of many of them, and praise God, but, like, who made that, that? And so you walk and we walk and we got all kinds of these garments and these yellow thick cords hanging from us. And, and it's because we were this and now we're the, it's There's this difference. Wow, you're a graduate. You're different. Old, new. We have all kinds of you. You get married. I often say to the married couple that I'm presiding or I'll say to the bride, bride, take a look at him. This is probably the best he'll ever look. Why? Because he's dressed up. It's new. He was once single. Now he's married. And by the way, my wife, when I saw her in the wedding gown, she put it on like she doesn't wear that every day. Imagine that. Like when I come home from the office at 4.30, she's not staying there in her wedding gown. Old, new. And when I saw Ann come walking down, I can go back to that moment right there, and she came walking down with her dad. I remember just thinking, holy cow, that's awesome. And I remember saying, I don't remember a thing that the pastor said because I just kept looking at her and I was like, I I was off in another world. Old, new, now we're one. He says, put off the old, now you're new. Listen, you you were on earth, but listen, now (laughs) your feet dangle with Jesus' feet. Bring kingdom down thoughts, kingdom down attitudes, kingdom down verbs and actions and love and forgiveness and hope and justice and mercy. We should be different because we are seated with the King of Kings, the Lord, Lords. So set your eyes there. You see, we should daily become more like Jesus, not the world. Now hear me out. This could be very convicting or very affirming. And the one you spend the most time with will surface in your lifestyle. Whoever you spend the most time with will surface in your lifestyle. How do you respond? What's your attitude? What's your faith look like? Is it living like you will be. See, here's the reality. A million years from now, we'll look back on this thing called earth and we'll wonder, why did I 
spend so much time fretting and worrying about that when for eternity I had this. See, it's all about perspective. Paul is saying, live like a native of your homeland because you can and you will forever one day. Practice, hear me out, practice what you will be. One of the things I love to do at the gravesite, the committal part of a service of a believer and everyone that's there is to take them to the book of Revelation and to give them perspective of where their loved one is. And then I'll say this to those in the crowd. Set your eyes on this. This is your home. This is your citizenship. And a long time ago, about 2,000 years, John was on the island of Patmos, and God told him to write. And he gave him a perspective, listen, of our home. This is our home. Listen to it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, 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 come. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from heaven. It's shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had great high walls with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east and three on the north and three on the south and three on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be one for 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. 
The wall was made of jasper. The city was made of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper. The second was sapphire. The third was agate. The fourth was emerald. The fifth was onyx. The sixth was ruby. The seventh was chrysolite. The eighth was beryl. The ninth was topaz. The tenth was turquoise. The eleventh was jacinth. The twelfth was amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold. As pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord our God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it and on no day its gates ever be shut for there is no night there the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it and nothing impure will ever ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Grace, that's our home. This isn't home. Please, don't become too attached to this. The best is yet to come. We are citizens of heaven. We are seated with the King of kings and Lord of lords forever. Please bring heaven down so that the world will know that there's a God that loves them. Oh, Father God, change our lenses. Help us not to become too attached to things of earth, holding desperately onto it. Help us to say, but until then, my heart will go on singing until the day. See you next week.